0: Welcome back to Quieto, a show about Latinx who want it all. I am your host, Priscilla Garcia-Jacques, and this is the podcast version of our web series. For the full experience of Quieto, please head on over to youtube.com slash the show. Thank you so much for stopping by. Your support means everything to us. So before we go on, make sure that you rate us on iTunes and leave a comment. All right, let's get into this week's episode.
1: You have to be comfortable in your own skin, um, know what you're worth and what you're putting out there. And I knew that, like, okay, there's a lot to learn, but I did know that if this person could do what I could do.
0: Welcome to Quiero, a show about Latinx who won it all. I'm your host, Priscilla Garcia-Jakay. Our guest today is Kevin Arbue. Kevin served as a VP of talent at Lee Daniels Entertainment. Noted in Austin awesome Film Festival's 25 screenwriters to watch, his career spans directing a Super Bowl commercial and viral videos, as well as his recent feature, Fair Market Value. Yeah. Wait, okay, so you're from Brooklyn? You grew up in no, Brooklyn? No, no, no,
1: I grew up in Long Island, Hempstead. I was born in Brooklyn.
0: And then to a Haitian father and yes. a Panamanian mother. Yes. How did they meet? Do you have... No, that's right.
1: Uh, College. Yeah, they went in college. My dad came from Haiti and started studying, and she was Panama studying, and then they had, you know, they um, kind of like liked each other, and then my dad got in the mail that he was being drafted, and he was like, okay, you're going to Vietnam. And he was like, will you wait for me? And she's like, if you come back alive and with all your limbs, sure. He was there for quite a bit, and then he came back and they got married.
0: I'm just very curious about your household and the way that race was talked about, the way that background was talked about. How do you raise a black Hispanic kid? (laughs)
1: Um, Well, I'm from the generation where just a lot of things are left unsaid. I grew up in, I mean, this has different connotations now, but but I grew up in a very Cosby household Mm -hmm. where it was upper middle class, you know, they were both in the medical field. It wasn't, that there wasn't a lot of hugging. There was never, like, my dad never was like, I love you. But you felt it and you knew it, you know? I'm very different with my kids because it's a completely different generation. Um, for my mom, it's like, you know, she's from Panama where there was still kind of this unspoken um, caste system between, because she's she's my skin color, whereas her best friend was much lighter, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but they were still like, oh yeah, Panamanian, Panamanian. And then when she got to America, it was like, black girl. Right. And that was the first time I was like, I'm a what? What do you mean? Like, I'm Panamanian. It's like, no, you're a black girl. Look at the color of your skin. Um, and I think that happens a lot to, like, you know, Dominicans and wherever. If you're dark, it just gets boiled down to black. Um, for me, with my Haitian side and my Panamanian side, I mean, they're so different. But I just kind of gravitated more to the, the, the Latin side. And just, like, growing up, I was just friends with mostly uh, Latinos and Hispanics. So it was just something that in was... In Long Island? Mm-hmm.
0: Like, there was a present community for you
1: to inhabit? Yeah. I mean, in Long Island, you have... Basically, it's Irish... Italian Haitian Salvadorian, Puerto Rican. That's kind of like what inhabits Long Island
0: You are you're a writer. I know you as, I have met you as a writer. You are very yes. many things You're a creator. You're a producer. You're a director. Right. You've been an actor in your life Um, what is the inciting incident that led you into this business?
1: Maybe it was my brother. He you know the whole family loved movies like that was a big thing. We watched a lot of movies um But my brother is the one who went to film school. Obviously, it was highly discouraged in in my family to do any type of uh, creative endeavors. I mean, they were like, you gotta be a lawyer. You better be a lawyer. But at a very early age, like I, I just knew. And I kind of, 15 was a big year for me, and that's kind of when I stopped thinking. Well, I started, no, excuse me. At 15, I started thinking. The idea of someone being, an atheist or agnostic was just unheard of. Right. I mean, everyone was religious, and I remember my religion teacher was talking about evolution, and I—it was the first time that I'm like, wait, I kind of thought we all knew these were stories, and it was clear that she was taking things literally, and that's what made me go, wait a minute, are we all? Wait, so we all don't. Realize that these are like stories and not reality. Noah's Ark is something you believe in. This is insanity. Um, And that is when I was like, okay, so now that I know that you guys are being serious this whole time, uh, I gotta like look into what this whole religion thing is about. And once I started doing that, I was like, well, I'm out. This is not for me. And then it was also, I want something different than most people, you know? which is also very hard to do in uh, Long Island because there's not many uh, professions that you can kind of, you know...
0: Choose from and... Right,
1: right. And I remember when I started, like, telling people this is what I want to do, it's like saying I want to be an astronaut. It's the same level of... Uh,
0: so you saw yeah. your brother go to film school and you are yeah. like, I want this.
1: Yeah, I want, I want to make movies, yeah. Right,
0: but you are self-taught. Yes. So eventually you did not go to school.
1: Yeah, well, because I saw that it didn't help my brother whatsoever. Yeah, like the
0: gatekeeping institutions were not really all that they were meant to be.
1: He comes out of film school, and then he's working on friendlies, you know? And he's not, you know, doing anything, like, film-related. And I'm just like, well, that doesn't seem to make sense, and why not? And then I got older, and... um, it was around eighteen 19. I'm like, I think you just need a certain level of hustle to make things work. And maybe you just pick up the phone, and, and that's what I did. And that was kind of like my in.
0: When I graduated, I just remember cold calling and cold emailing as many executives, as many people whose emails I could just find. Yep. Turns out that people are really receptive to that.
1: Yes. Way back in the day, New Line Cinema was pretty much run by Mike DeLuca. Right. And I, you know, I read you know, the trades that he was gone. So, like, and I knew that, you know, there's like this level of disruption when someone's leaving. So I called Cold, uh, Cold Cold New Line Cinema. And I was like, hey, um, so, I was, uh, you know, as you know, I was doing this deal with Mike DeLuca and he's gone now. Like, I don't want it to fall by the wayside. Who do I talk to now? And the reception was like, oh, I think you need Kale Boyder. So, okay, great. So they transferred me to Kale. I'm like, Kale, hey, what's up, man? It's Kevin. So I'm sure Mike told you about the project we were working on, but like, he's gone now. I don't want it to die. What, what do we should do? Oh, come on. What can we do? It's like, all right, all right, come on, and we'll talk about it. I mean, it was a lie. Everything I said was a complete lie. But because there was assumption of, like, I was doing something, and I was somebody, he, you know, we had a meeting, and, inter- I mean, it was crazy.
0: Who taught you how to say, "I okay, I get to do this? Like, I get to do this, I get to say I'm this person, and I'm just going to, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, like, fake it till you make it, which yeah. goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. But, and you have to have a deep sense of self, and knowing that you can and you will when that happens.
1: I think if you kind of know who you are as a person, mm-hmm. then I, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, is like you have to be comfortable in your own skin, um, know what you're worth and what you're putting out there. And I knew that like, okay, there's a lot to learn, but I did know that if this person could do what I could do. And I think that's a lot of it is looking at kind of what's out there and going like, well, aside from, you know, if you're an absolute genius, that's one thing. But there's a lot of people working in this business that are not necessarily geniuses, and I'm like, why this person? Mm -hmm. And why not me?
0: I am constantly amazed at people, like Eric. Eric has such a great, fantastic sense of self, and I think, Mm -hmm. like I was raised in a very strict household that was very, I mean, my parents are loving in their very own way, but they are, their standards are, man, man, you know? And I see someone like my own boyfriend who was, I think, in in her wisdom, I think his mom knew that like raising a black kid in Baltimore was hard enough. Like mm. it was just gonna be hard enough for him. Right. So the house was a place where you are worth it and you matter and you're full of everything. Right. And as a result, like Eric has a much better sense of self and like worth than I ever that I strive to be, like that.
1: Yeah, and I, and I do think a lot comes from the family unit. I mean, I just had. Amazing parents very similar. I mean, especially I I I think sometimes people don't um, appreciate their parents until they're much older But there's this like like, you know 15 16 17. I'm like, oh my god. My dad is Amazing, Mm -hmm. and he's the only human being I know that doesn't have a bad bone in his body He's actually like the most amazing human being ever ever. Are your
0: parents still married? Oh, yeah amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: So you started managing
1: Started, I started as a model agent first. Amazing. Which was like, and, I, and
0: Why yeah. and how?
1: I saw in the paper that this modeling agency was looking for an office manager. And I go in there and I'm like, you know, like, yeah, I could, you know, I could do that, but I think I'd be better, you know, booking the town. I could talk to the people, whatever. And they were like, okay, we'll try it out. And then I started doing it. And it was like, yeah. and a lot of it was like, hey, look, we're a boutique agency. We can't call some of the bigger people. I'm like, why not? I'm like, well, you know, because, and and this is back in like 99, you know, when it was really, it was just like Ford, Elite, Next, IMG, those like the biggies. And I was like, no, but that's like, they'll, you know, that's them. And I'm like, well, I don't think that necessarily has to be. So let me call some of these people. Mm -hmm. Like, they're open to it. Like, just ask. And a lot of people were just not asking. So they appreciated that. And at that point, I was just about getting single and I was young. And I'm like being like a model booker, like it was like the most amazing thing in the world. And then like a year later, I'm like this is the worst thing in the world. Like it was like soul crushing. Um, and it was the right. first time um, because you, I would find like a 15 year old girl who was like really smart and like had it, and you talk to the parents. I'm like listen, I think she'd be amazing. And then she starts working, and then a year later, she's brain dead. Right. And I'm like, and you just realize that. There's just, if your sole income is just what you look like and people are not interested in what you have to say, I think just eventually you go, well, then fuck it. And that part of your brain turns off and it becomes all about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we're not even having an interesting conversation. This is the saddest thing in the world.
0: Right. I read and I Ashley Graham's book. <laughs> not that she like represents all models, but I thought unless you are a brand you're a huge brand, and you're a supermodel. Yeah. Not every part of you gets to be engaged.
1: Right. Yeah, and she's talking about, and that, and that is a completely different generation. I mean, she's a completely right. different. She's working where, she's she's working in that in that area where you don't need permission, mm-hmm. you know. And I was doing it in the area was like you gotta go this route for these people, and this is it. There's no other way around it. And then I shifted into managing actors, right? Um, which was also great, and, and hell it became the worst thing in the world. Why? <laughs> um, a lot of the same things. Um, I repped one guy who came out of Juilliard, and he was like, "I just want you know, do this thing." And then he was in a really big movie. Um, and fast forward like five years later, he wouldn't even take a meeting with Ridley Scott or Ron Howard. And it was that moment where I spent like two weeks arranging travel for his dog because they were shooting something in Brazil. I'm like get me the fuck out of here he was you know and now I love actors again but like it made me hate <laughs> actors it really did Right. it really made me hate actors
0: um what was the next step from that like you hate managing thank you for the lessons yes what happens next
1: uh then I get into producing yeah um producing it really kind of levels the playing field because as smart as you think you are you can do this with that you can only get to a certain level with experience mm-hmm. And, like, looking back, like, some of the first things to produce, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm the dumbest dude in the world. Like, so many mistakes, and there's so many things that you think.
0: What's the biggest big- one you've
1: made? Biggest you mistake?
0: Yeah, that you can remember.
1: Jesus Christ. Um, I think the, f- the first big mistake, and I think a lot of young producers make, not being properly staffed. You can only be the most inexperienced person on set you have to surround yourself with people who have done it a million times before that's the biggest mistake is that like okay this is my first thing and i get i'm going to get my friend to be the ad and my friend to get this thing my friend and they're just as inexperienced it's going to be a disaster it's going to be a disaster and whatever your budget is it's going to be blown because you don't you don't quite understand that there are certain positions that pay for themselves like production managers and line producers their position pays for themselves because they're going to get deals that you can't get you know what i mean like a good production manager or line producer does not pay retail. And you don't know that in the beginning, like you, like I need a certain lighting package and you call the rental place and they're like, this is the quote, and you're like okay, this is the quote, when you realize, you start doing it well, oh no, I want 30% off. And you'll get it, you know what I mean? And that 30% off just paid for that entire salary of the line producer.
0: So you blew up because of a viral <laughs>
1: I have a crush on Obama yeah.
0: video. Yeah. I read somewhere that you found this
1: on a Craigslist. Uh, I answered an ad in Craigslist, and Your the guy was like, "Your whole life is like answering ads <laughs> and like cold calling." It is. Like, yeah,
0: that's how it that, is. That's the bit.
1: Yeah. I I became the vice president of Lee Daniels from Mandy, for you know, it was like the version of Craigslist. Oh I mean, yes. yes. It wasn't like a sort. It was literally answering an ad. I can't believe. Yeah, and then what happened? It was the same thing. It's like, he was looking for an office manager. Yeah. And I was like, hold up.
0: Where was he in his career at the time? He, this is
1: funny, he where had just he? done Monsters Ball. Uh, so he was bigger than shit. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. Working for Lee Daniels was mind-blowing. Because my whole half that career up until then has been boutique, 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 boutique. Then I go to Lee Daniels, where, you know, it had been a huge movie. Uh, you know, Haley Berry had just won... Um, the Oscar, and it became like he could call anyone and they'd pick up the phone. And because of that, I could call anyone and pick up the phone. How your calls get returned, I, I realize now, is really shows where you are in the business.
0: Oh man, yeah. I it's, think that insane. everyone should work at an agency and learn that. I yes. Mean, so I feel I I am so much more empowered in my own career and my own like move making. Mm-hmm. Because of that experience,
1: yeah, and it was like I started being at Lee Daniels and I'd call the biggest agent of CIA and he was like, "Hello, mm-hmm. what can I do for you?" Mm-hmm. I mean, at the beck and call, and Lee would blow these guys. He would curse these people out, and they'd call back for more. Like it was crazy. I mean, it was so like he was Lee Daniels was a person who taught me that you can be a business person and a creative person, and I think Which that kind of was,
0: shaped your life. Yes, in the end, that is that is the lesson of your life. Yes. You know, and it's always the most empowering thing about you in the room.
1: I think, yeah, it, it, it comes down to like, listen, I can talk about this script, I can do this thing, but I can tell you on the production side how certain things are gonna work, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I mean, talk Does about- Does that get in the way when you're writing? No. Okay. I think it helps to a certain extent if there's, if, if I'm writing something that I know for a fact I really wanna direct this, then I'm gonna write for a certain budget, a certain thing, like, I'm, I just think realistically, I could do this, mm-hmm. and like and I'm not trying to write, you know, Transformers 10. Agents, as you know, uh, and for to always talk about voice, and like you'd have have a certain voice, mm-hmm. and it took me a while to find that and be comfortable with it, mm-hmm. because because you know, as you know, there will be certain people who will read even the script you like and be like, this is fucking ridiculous, mm-hmm. like this guy's all over the place, like this is you know, because I don't, I'll do things on the page that make me laugh. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah, I
0: mean you do you write. You write for both things. You do write with the reader in mind, which I yes. also think is such a big part of the kind of relationship that a reader can have with your script.
1: Right. I would think so, but there are some people who are like, "God damn, this is so overwritten. This is so. What is going on you here?" Don't need and I'm to like, this yeah, like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I was kind of. I think I'm like, um, but then you know, listen, not everyone's for everyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I, re, I read about like people's reaction to you know Tarantino's script, you know, True Romance. Like, this is horrible. Like people. Hated it. He didn't change any words. It was just, you know, like, Lawrence Bender read and was like, oh, I like this.
0: You have one of the best work ethics I've ever kind of encountered in an artist. Yeah, Yeah, I do. I mean, to me, it's always like, you were very, you know the executive world and so you have amazing email etiquette and you're (laughs) like, I mean, all your deadlines and like, but I do wonder where that came from and like, who taught you that or if you've always been uh, that way, your dad.
1: And again, unspoken, but like, If you have a father that is so responsible Mm -hmm. and like such a good person, like you see it enough, you realize like, oh, okay, you gotta you gotta be decent in in this world. And it's interesting, like my son, who's eighteen, like the difference again generations. Like I sat down and talked to him about a lot of this stuff. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? At a young age, and he gets it to like a whole other level, a whole other level. But he's also like my son is like. He was—he has it in both hands. He's very, very smart, talented, and a hustler, and he's ridiculously good-looking. And he kind of like puts these like things together, and he just—you know what I mean? Like, people like that can't be stopped. My son (laughs) will not be
0: stopped. You know, my my brother, my oldest brother, now is going into politics as well in Colombia, and my father comes from not cute Colombia, and. He, I think forever, will have this underdog complex that just needs to get worked out right. and remuscle,d and, again, needs to get taken to, to the mat. And I remember the first time he saw my brother speak, and he just looked at my mom and I, and he was like, he doesn't feel that.
1: Mm. Like, my
0: brother just walks into a room and knows he can own it. Right. That weight is never on him. And I thought, that is generation.
1: Big time. I That is so, and you know, because... My, if anything, my dad does not... He's not very non-confrontational. Um, to a fault, I think, because I think it leads to bad things, you know, at times. Where it's just generation like, so I don't have that thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I confront. Confront, confront, confront. I think people understand that it's not out of malice or ridiculous. It's just like... I'm just kind of like, it's, it's fucking real. Like, you know, just, you have to take in some sort of context. You know what I mean? I think, um, especially as artists and creators, now we're feeling like the... Um, there is uh, if you had political correctness there's a stifling of certain things and certain ideas where it's like you know I had a friend who um, was the you know co-creator of that show Confederate and an HBO and he got so much shit and it was like, guys can you just wait to see like holds up, like why are you judging you have, you haven't read it you don't understand really the nuance of it but it's like the optics it just sounded bad. Mm-hmm. So people attacked. These two black people, you know what I mean, like not realizing and like essentially kind of like killed the show from these two black creators Because it just sounded kind of bad. That's a problem. That is a big, big problem Because it used to be like you can, you know, there's a lot of like, well, I don't even want to hear this person speak And I'm like, but that's the way, the way to eradicate bad ideas is to debate it so everyone can see that it's a bad idea But if you're trying to stifle it, it will grow
0: Yeah, I think, I I agree with you on this, but I I think that the point is that for such a long time there was only one part of the group that got stifled and then the other part got just like a free card to go and run around. Mm -hmm. Until, like, the other side gets to make the same argument that you're trying to make is from the the position of power, we're not there yet.
1: I agree with that. I think the basic problem is, is that there's been a lot of scapegoating, right? So, for instance... You will hear a lot from specifically white women that, you know, about white men. So a lot of times they are, they are using white men as a scapegoat, but there is this reality where they don't hire black men. So if you look at like the entire career of Nancy Myers, who I think is a very good director, she has never hired a person of color as a lead or even supporting. Same, my, one of my favorite directors, Nicole Holofcener, you know, once, her first movie, Never Again. It happens a lot, right? And, and, and this, is the, this is the biggest joke, and I think you and I will agree with this, is that we operate in what's considered to be a very progressive industry. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, like, it's the most racist industry ever. And this is just the reality. A white man in charge will hire me much quicker than a white woman in charge.
0: And that's just been your experience.
1: That's, yeah. And, 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 only, and, not, and it's not a, the funny thing is, and then you have to take in context, it's usually not a conscious choice. It's usually just you hire people who you hang out with. And it just so happens that white white women in progressive just don't hang out with black men.
0: When you are um, filling your own crew, mm-hmm. is that is race something that you consciously think about? Yes,
1: I do believe you have to create opportunity for certain people, so it becomes easier for them next time. So, like my last, you know, film where you know it was a, a female lesbian AD, or, and then like a Japanese DP and then a black second AD, and then Jack, you know, so it's very, very, very mixed, and I do do that consciously, and you know, I, I, I saw some people like, well, that's not fair, so you look for the best person, and I'm like, no, that's just, you say that because just that's, they've had all the opportunity forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I have to make sure, you know, that this person who has uh, aspirations of being an AD, she can be an AD, and then grow and grow that out, because now she's a kick-ass AD, And she's hired other people, you know what I mean? Like, and so I am all about, like, I want, I do want great, obviously, but you just gotta give a certain opportunity so it can grow.
0: Of course. And develop skill. Give the opportunity to develop skill.
1: Because there's nothing more uncomfortable as, because a lot of times where, like, being the only such and such sucks.
0: Yes. I
1: can't stand going into a set or this, whatever, and I'm the only black dude. I'm like, what the fuck? You gotta do better. You, gotta, you, you do have to and make so these choices. it's so easy
0: to do better. It's just about extending just a little bit outside of the circle that you've just always surrounded yourself with. Mm-hmm. Um, you're writing full-time now. Yes. Like, you're focused. You have, you have claimed this writing life, <laughs> and you will, you're going to do it. What yeah. does that look like?
1: I think you have to be a pragmatist, and you have to be realistic, and you have to be patient. Um, patience is probably the hardest thing to have, because you feel like you're kind of at a certain level and you're like, guys, come on, let's go. But you start to realize that other people have different priorities, so you're gonna have to slow it down and go, it's gonna happen when it happens. It can be frustrating and especially, I think when you have a a family, you know, it would be a lot, if I was a single person, I'd be pretty content, you know, because I make enough where it's like, "Oh, that's, you know, I'm I'm good, I can travel, I can do whatever. But I live in New York and it's a family of five you know so there's always that like oh jesus christ because i mean if you are in this business you're a freelancer it doesn't matter how much money you make you freelance you know and you don't know when the next job's gonna come so you're constantly kind of terrified like what is you know what i mean but i think you have to calm down but yeah it's tough when you see people who sell their thing at 21 years old to 22 and i'm like you know if, if you're like a damien chazelle who's just it's, it's really like, you got to be kidding me, you got to be kidding me. And you try to hold on to the stories of people who make it later in life. I mean, Morgan Freeman, like his first big role, he was 51. I mean, I don't know how you continue going that long without, I mean, that's difficult. I mean, I'm 40 now, right? Um, I and mean, you've been a father for... I've been a father long. since I was 22 years old. I have right. an 18-year-old son. Like, you,
0: know? you no longer remember what it <laughs> is to not have a child. I don't,
1: it is, it's been part of it. Um, and it's weird because, you know, last year, you know, I was voted one of the top 25 screenwriters to watch for that year, and I'm like, wow, that's great, you know what I mean? And I had this assumption, okay, well now, this is a major magazine, and it's, and it's this, it doesn't get more validating than that, and it was like, cricket, 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 mm-hmm. and I'm like, really? Like, what is, what else needs to happen, you know? And then at the same token, so I was at, um, a festival, and, uh, um, I was talking to a woman named Gita who not only won Austin screenwriting, won the nickels mm. Crickets, crickets, crickets for her. And I'm like, okay, well then there's, you know, that right there just tells you, it gives you some perspective. That is not just me. It just happens and it's, it's just weird, you know? I think what also is difficult is that when people see me, they want, especially back in the past when I started writing, they wanted a certain type of story.
0: Coming from you. Yes, yeah. and when
1: I tell you that, when I say like, I really love Mike Nichols and Nora Ephron. They're like, but we don't want that type of black guy. Could you be the black guy that does Boys in the Hood too and not?
0: You wrote one of my favorite screenplays I have ever read. This screenplay is like, I mean, for those who will see it soon enough, (laughs) it's a mix of like Tomb Raider and Kill Bill mixed with Boys in the Hood and then also some weird Japanese horror film. I mean, all in one. And it yeah. is so captivating and funny. And it just moves. And then you realize, why doesn't this happen all the time?
1: Yeah. Right? That's, that's the difficulty. And, and you know, you, you need to convince someone, like, hey, look, this is something... I think people are getting it now because just box office, it becomes undeniable.
0: Um, what What's the next step? Like, what are you looking for, forward to?
1: Well... So I wrote a a, a, a pilot uh, <laughs> with uh, Alex Dandalaris. Um and that is amazing because I mean he, that is a great example of someone um, with a certain amount of clout taking a chance on someone else. That's a huge example. Um, I I don't know if he realizes like like how big that is mm-hmm. in someone's career because there's no real way to get to the level unless people do that. Uh, I'm in the midst of. Uh, Attaching an actor to a, a film that I'm gonna be co-directing like I was supposed to like just kind of brush up this script that came to me and ended up doing a page one rewrite like a completely new script um, It's being produced by Shannon McIntosh Amazing I did so I did make a conscious choice um, To work with women yeah. years ago. Those I was awesome. uh, <laughs> I was at an agency uh, one of the big ones I wrote uh, this pilot and a TV agent was like I love this, but you gotta change the woman to a man because no one's making shows for women. And I was like, peace! Uh, yeah, yeah. It was fucking ridiculous. Um, so also, I,
0: like, so incorrect. I
1: know.
0: I mean, like, really, even like, the, financially, yes, like, incorrect. It, it, it's like a
1: big, it was like a weird thing to say that's based on nothing. You know? Like, it's just weird. Weird thing to say. But I was like, okay, I gotta get out of here. Because if like, you're saying shit about, like, women, you're gonna be saying shit about black people or whatever. It's not, how often is it just as one, you know, marginalized group that you have a thing, you know what I mean? So I was like, let me get out of here. Uh, so then I just wrote everything starring women. Every, I mean, everything was starring women. Everything, everything. Um, and then I just, you know, I just a certain producer I wanted to work with, and I'm like, who's Tarantino's producer? Mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, Shannon McIntosh, you know? And um, I was at this festival, I had a movie in a festival, and I saw that she was one of the speakers. So I was like, okay, computer. I got her email address, and I wrote her an email, and she wrote back, and she's like, yeah, let's meet, meet up after the panel. So we met, you know, that night, and we talked for like an hour. Um, and she's like, "Okay, well, send me your script in this movie, whatever." And I was like, "Sure." And then I sent her the script. She called me like a week later, and she's like, "Yeah." So I read your script, and you know, when you talk to a lot of people, there's a certain, there's a very similar conversations you have. You expect to hear certain things, mm-hmm. and I, and you know, I definitely expected to hear like, "So yeah, you know, I, I kind of like what you wrote, but you know, I'm busy right now, and you know, kind of keep me in mind for whatever." And that's what I expected to hear. But instead, she was like, so let's do this movie. And I'm like, what? Congrats. She's like, yeah, let's do it. That's I'm like, that's fantastic. fucking crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, she's great. I mean, like, so she has this new movie with Tarantino now that she just got Lino DiCaprio to star, which is not so.
0: What is the what is the hardship that you went through that you carry through today? I don't know about
1: hardships. I, I'll just say that I think owning your mistakes is very big. And I, and I talk to a lot of people when they tell a story of something that a production that went bad or this script or this didn't sell, whatever it is. And it's always someone else's fault. And every flag goes off when I hear that. Like, it's always someone else's fault. Always. Like, it's never because of the shit you did. Yeah. And I can very easily look back on my filmography and be like, this fucked up because of this, because I did this. Right. Or I did it fucked up here. And, you know, very, very easily. I mean, like, there is one project that I, I, I wrote with a script was like people got so excited about the script, um, and the actors kind of like gave it their all, but what I was trying to do it was the wrong tone completely. Mm. But it's like you gotta just own that stuff because it's the only way you can get better It's the only way. And I love, and and then it gets to a point where it's like adverse, and that's why I, not politically, but like, you know, I'm someone who was a parent and has kids, so. I recognize how important it is that they do overcome adversity, mm-hmm. and so much of what's going on is trying to uh, deter adverse situations. I'm like no, but we need those. those I'm are just are huge. reading
0: Brené Brown, and her whole thing is about that. That in the way it's all about belonging. Like the whole mm-hmm. book is about belonging, and it's the idea that we have protected ourselves so much. From the hardships of life that we end up doing the biggest one to ourselves right. because now we're secluded and we are lonelier than ever which is right. the biggest heartbreak in life is mm-hmm. loneliness in that way
1: but yeah like overcoming adversity is the only way you'll know how you will react and, and and pivot how many people do we know that they have a certain plan and as we know things shift outside in the world and they can't pivot. They can't shift. Mm-hmm. They can't make that th- you know that change you know to go to a, a better place because they've just never had to overcome certain adversities, oh. It's a disaster.
0: Kevin, I am so so grateful that you're here.
1: I th- uh, thank you for inviting. Me. This is this is great. I, I love this.
0: I just you know I think I've been very very inspired by your writing and your work ethic and the way that you show up in a room. And I'm grateful that I get to share it with everyone else. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Priscilla. Woo! All right. That was this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate, and leave us a comment. Again, for the full experience of Keto, make sure you head on over to youtube.com slash the show, subscribe to our channel. We thank you so much for your support and see you next week.